I want to welcome everybody. Thank you for all having me. I've, many years ago when Doug started doing these things, I kind of always dreamed of, of being up here and, and hopefully having something of, import, something of importance to say. Um, and hopefully we do. Like I, I, This will be very interactive. Uh, again, my name is Calvin Hendricks Parker. I'm CTO and co-founder of Six Feet Up. We are celebrating 24 years in business this year. Another number that makes me also feel maybe up there, but believe me, I'm not that old, I swear. Uh, but I'm excited about engineering leadership. I actually just got back from San Diego from a, a CTO's conference, and that just gives you a lot of like inspiration when you're around other people who are trying to find their tribe and trying to figure out their way uh, when it comes to engineering leadership. So what I'm gonna talk to you today though about is accelerating the software development lifecycle process and some best practices and what you can do with your teams to actually make this happen. Uh, I will ask that if everyone can get out their phones. I know this is an odd request by a speaker, but this will be a very interactive talk. There are a lot of QR codes. None of them are nefarious, uh, I promise. Uh, they're all safe to scan. I know this kind of crowd, uh, so don't be too worried. Uh, but the slides and everything that's up here uh, is actually on the uh, GitHub repository. Uh, so that's how deeply in, in, you know, invested I am in doing this right and making sure people have access to all the kind of open knowledge. So there's a PDF in there with the slides in there, the raw slides are built, and then there's actually a link to this presentation uh, right on that GitHub page. So if anybody wants to be able to get that, I can put this up later uh, as well. But I think we all know that every team is a software team uh, these days. Even if you're running IT operations, uh, those folks are coding, doing infrastructure as code. There's no lack of software development practices that are happening anymore in any of these groups. E even if you thought you're just a sysadmin or a network engineer and you're just gonna hack on the consoles of things, that's not how this stuff happens anymore. Uh, and I think that those teams need to make sure we're adapting to this kind of modern world. Uh, so I wanna kick it off though with a bit of interact, like I said, interactivity. So we're gonna use Slido uh, for, uh, if you've got Q&A while I'm speaking, feel free to drop questions into that Slido, but we're gonna do a quick poll so go ahead and scan that code or go to slido.com and put in IT Leaders Indy. And that will get you to uh, the first, we'll get you to the Q&A section here, but I'm gonna go ahead and put up a question that I want everyone to answer as we talk about and think about this process of managing uh, engineering teams uh, over the, the long haul and how we actually improve on that process. So let's get kicked off with that. The first thing I wanna ask is, how many development teams are in your organization? And when I say development teams, this includes operational teams that may be producing infrastructure as code uh, up there. So we're gonna, it's, it's a live, there we go, yes. 10 plus, you're my people. That's who I'm talking to here, uh, for sure. Because again, that code can live in lots of places. You could have a product team, or you could have, a, you know, again, an operations team, an engineering team, you know, that are, they're all coding or have maintenance responsibilities around some level of code. You know, marketing automation, uh, those folks are now getting into low code, no code, and how do they deploy, and how do you maintain some level of consistency around that. Awesome, oh, I got 27 people already voted. You guys are awesome, this is the best. The techie crowd who gets it with the phone and like understands, this is so super cool. Okay, now, given that you've got maybe, you know, it looks like two to five teams, which is perfect. I'm kind of speaking to people who've got multiple potential teams here that they're trying to manage and actually be able to leverage the skills in both those teams. If you had to say, are you happy with their ability to deliver velocity 
Are you happy with the ability for them to get new features out the door quickly? Is this going the direction you want? Is there room for improvement? Um, it's, it's anonymous. There's no, uh, there's no, they're not tracking who's putting what stars up there. So feel free to be a little honest about the situation. Sweet, 20 people, 23 people. Yeah, I, I think in the enterprise, I kind of expected this. I kind of expected there's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, a lot of startups, you know, they're very agile. They can grab all the latest, you know, DevOps tools and throw them out there. But the enterprise, I think that's been, there's been a little bit of friction in, in getting that going. But I think we want to look, look at how we can actually look more like those highly performing, you know, accelerating software development teams. So awesome. That was really cool. All right. So I want to talk about a journey. Uh, this actually started uh, about a couple years ago. And then by say started, uh, this actually started a long, long time ago with how we you know, developed software over the years. But a customer of ours actually came to us. Uh, we, were, uh, we were looking to do a different kind of project with them, like an IoT type project. Uh, but they, they said, before we start, we would like to look more like you guys. Like we would like to look like you all. We want to perform like you all do. We want to deliver software like you do. Uh, we, we suspect we have some poorly performing teams. Now, I mentioned six globally distributed teams. That was six out of 30 that we actually got to talk to. So we were talking to specifically six teams throughout this process. But keep in mind, it's a team. They've got 30 globally distributed software teams. And I'm only talking about a subset of them at the beginning of this journey. They wanted to understand if, how they could deliver more features, more functionality, and prove that velocity. But they had you know, no clear vision as to why this was happening or even who is at fault. Uh, we had some initial assumptions, you know, things like, I don't know, poor test coverage or, you know, tech debt. It's, a, it's an organization that's been around, well, 50, 60 years. Maybe they've got software still running that's, you know, 20 plus years old. Uh, maybe there's tech debt in there that's actually causing them to slow down this, this technical velocity. Uh, now, the next thing I want to do is if you were in the same spot, what are common causes of poor, poorly performing teams that you may see? So if you go back to the Slido, uh, you can type in a couple word answers here. Again, it will not pop up your name on there. So if you say like your know, team sucks and like, you're just not happy with them, that should not uh, show who said it up there. Um, but yeah, exactly. Communication issues, leadership. Uh, what kinds of things are you seeing in your organization right now that may be leading to more poorly performing teams? Uh, process complexity is a really good one. I think that that also leads to uh, potential talking about like tech debt, things like that. Lack of collaboration. These are great. This is the best audience ever. I'm going to give you guys all a five-star review. Uh, this is the best. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, I can see who's typing. It's the first time I've used this for the presentation, and I'm going to say I'm going to do this again because it's actually working out really well. Tech debt. So, yeah. Same thing. I think that's a common one we always think about is like, is tech debt really what's like slowing us down and causing a lot of friction and, and potentially, you know, reducing our velocity. Okay. I think we got a couple more person typing out there and we'll come back to these. You'll be able to see them right in the, the tab of the results on your, the Slido in there. If you want to take a look at this later to see what other people had said, but for now, we're going to head back in. If you, again, if you have questions, don't hesitate to throw them onto the Q&A tab of that Slido page, and we'll get to them at the end. Or if you've got a burning question, you've got to have an answer right now, 
I'm happy to uh, make this very, very interactive and talk about that too. So the discovery process, you know, we, I mentioned the six teams. We basically, we basically asked for uh, willing or unwilling volunteers from their, their central uh, organizing like, IT group. And they came back with uh, you know, these six teams who they thought would be willing to participate in the process. You can only imagine in some enterprise uh, the, the resistance to change or things that are different or people coming in and stooping around your business might be a problem. Uh, so we got two, six interesting teams that were there and got a sampling of people. Uh, again, out of 30, people, 30 teams, we had six to deal with and we got a sampling of those people from those teams and interviewed them. Uh, six hours per team in just the interviewing alone, not including any analysis or report write-up. And I can tell you we uncovered many, many more issues. Like this was obviously not just a two things are kind of going sideways and we need to look at how we're going to fix these kind of pieces. Uh, we really looked at you know, one team, let's just kind of focus in on, on going from six down to one. That I think a lot of you put these up there on that um, Slido poll, uh, you know, communication issues, access management, documentation, uh, all these things were kind of lacking or weak in some way or another. And but they were you know, not all bad, obviously. Um, I mentioned power station setup, and I'll tell a story about that in a bit. Uh, they actually had a good onboarding process. Like that's the, you know, from day one, a developer opening a laptop out of a box and getting started and being productive. What does that look like? And then they're kind of in the middle, you know, coding standards, source control management, uh, thinking about innovation, like forward thinking processes. Like we had to think about this as a, like a holistic process from start to finish. But then you got to think about how you're going to prioritize. If you're looking at these issues, talking about them, how do we actually prioritize which ones are important to deal with? We can't boil the ocean and solve all the problems at once, especially as an engineering manager. But you're going to need to understand, if I did an analysis across the team, and I looked at, for example, here there's four stages. So across the top, you've got four stages that build upon one another, and 19 units, there's 18 in this uh, specific chart, but we actually have been, have been um, iterating this uh, over time. Across those 19 units, you know, where do we start? And I think you have to establish like a baseline when you're looking at those teams. There's, there's certain like table stakes skills that the group is gonna have to have to be able to accelerate up to the next level. So if you looked at that level one, that act one right here, this, we, we were calling this build. And I'm gonna give you this example framework so you can use this with your own teams. If we talk about build, like just getting set up day one, what are the kinds of things that a, a developer or engineer in your team needs to be successful? And that's where we started looking. And then we highlighted, you know, maybe top three things we think we should be taking care of as part of this process. Uh, in this case, it was the um, uh, issue identification. Like, are, are we actually actively talking about the issues that affect not the software, but the operation of the team? How are they surfacing issues inside the team itself? You know, things like communication or poor documentation practices, or maybe you don't have a pull request process in place, or it's not documented or followed by all. Uh, so we, we highlighted that as like a, a kind of a, a, let's tackle these baseline table six issues first. The next one was source control management and then security. And uh, normally I wouldn't put act two, which is like the execute, I'm calling this execute, uh, into that top three, but because security to certain organizations, depending on your business needs, may be more important, it may make sense for them to focus on that. But we tried to apply the same set of units across you know, all orgs, but then prioritize them based on the business need. 
And then last, uh, oh, then, uh, so that's the execute column. So we got build, execute. Uh, the next one here is the uh, streamline. And then the last column, so streamline is going to do things like uh, orchestration, you know, automation, testing, those things that we can, we can fully automate. And the last one being transform. Are we thinking about the future? Are we cross-pollinating the team? How do folks uh, share knowledge or gain new skills and knowledge across the, uh, the enterprise? Which, cleverly enough, spells best. Uh, that was my tie-in with the, the best title uh, for this. But basically, choose you know, three, for example, focus on those, fix those issues, and start building a great foundation for those engineering teams so they can actually perform at a higher level. So if we're looking at just that one org or one team, it'd really be interesting to compare cross-team. If we take two different teams and talk about those same areas across two teams, maybe there's energy or synergies that can actually happen here between those teams. What I want to tell you is a story of uh, two developers. Uh, we'll call them Pete and Andy. They're all fictitious. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. But you can see over here on the, uh, the build, that foundational stage, this power station setup. Uh, between these two teams, you've got one with the red and one with the green. Uh, just imagine, if you will, a story about two developers. You know, Pete wakes up, <clears throat> new day, first day on the job, comes in, got a brand new laptop on his desk. You know, it's it's uh, got nothing installed on it. So he has to go through the process of getting IT approvals to get certain software installed. Maybe the computer's a little undersized, so he can't run all the Docker containers all at once. Uh, maybe he needs to go find you know, somebody in another department to get access to the source control repository for a specific project he's been put on, but it takes another day and a half for that person to even figure out where they you know, put the access controls or get those things kind of things set up. We're talking about you know, potentially days of access set up. Maybe you know, he's got to go figure out how to set up the test framework so he can try and run the CI uh, locally before he commits any code in the repository. Uh, maybe it takes him a couple weeks to even get any code pushed into production at that point. If we talk about the next team over here, maybe Andy uh, in his power station setup, he grabs his laptop fresh out of the box. He fires up, you know, installs Docker in his favorite IDE. He is uh, pulling code down, running a single make command. He's got the whole suite of tools running already for him to go. He's making code, making a pull request, getting it reviewed uh, within the first day of work. I mean, those are the kind of contrasts we would love to see. Everyone would love to be over here. We want to have developers hit the ground running and be productive. But sometimes tech debt and communication and documentation all kind of stand in the way of actually being effective at our jobs. But they just want to write code. They just want to be productive and produce new features. Uh, but they, you know, the, the whole process stands in their way. Another nice thing with this leveraging cross-team pollination is now Andy or Pete can go talk to Andy about how this works because now we're aware. We've actually taken a look at the organization, assessed them through these surveys and interviews, and looked at like where certain teams are excelling and certain teams maybe are falling behind and analyzing that gap. Being able to look at that now gives us the ability to do you know, either centers of excellence or some kind of guilds. We, we use developer guilds uh, in our organization so we can put all the front end people together. They can discuss, even if they're not on the same projects, they can come together for kind of a mini conference on a periodic basis and share ideas between each other. And that cross-pollination can be really, really powerful because sometimes people are just stuck spinning their wheels and they just need a person to talk to who understands the kind of things they work on on a day-to-day -day process or a day-to-day -day basis. So where do you start in this whole process? 
Um, I think the issue we saw it was that interviews are time consuming and, and biased. Uh, we ended up, I mentioned six hours per just the interviews. There were over 80 hours put into just talking to and reviewing these six specific teams. Uh, if you want to have success with tools like this, you're going to want to be able to do this on an ongoing basis. You know, maybe a, not quite monthly, maybe quarterly, at least a couple times a year to kind of get a baseline and then see if you're moving the needle. But those interviews are going to be really, really expensive and costly. And you're only getting a sl small cross section of the whole picture here. We only talked to six teams. We only talked to a couple representative people who decided they would show up for these, these interviews. Uh, they were biased at best. Uh, not everybody was invited. Uh, those who were invited, uh, you can imagine uh, talking to your software development teams, uh, who just speaks up, raises their hand and says, what's wrong? Uh, not everybody wants to speak up and be heard in these kind of meetings, but everyone does need to be heard and have their opinions like, taken into consideration when you're analyzing what were the potential problems, because otherwise you're going to get a very skewed view of the whole process of the picture. So a survey actually would be probably a much better option here. If we could use some kind of tooling to get more feedback from more people as part of the process, we think it gave us a lot better um, results in the end because we're actually getting more voices heard as part of doing this exercise. Uh, it's also important to focus on the aggregate results at a team level. I don't think anybody wants to ever be called out. Uh, there's a lot of great tools out there, so you could use things like Dora Metrics or Space to actually analyze these teams, but they may not fit your specific organization. You may go into one of those exercises using the Dora Metrics tools, uh, like with Apache DevLake, which is open source. There's a lot of great tools that can do these kinds of things and actually help you watch metrics um, from your development teams. But they may say you're poorly performing when in reality, it's a function of the type of business you run. Not everyone is meant to be a, a release a thousand times a day to production uh, DevOps you know, organization. There's, there's you know, all kinds of uh, constraints involved when it comes to different kinds of businesses. But the goal would be, uh, identifying these areas of synergy, looking for areas where you can have those cross-pollination uh, magic moments inside of your organizations. But from there, so I'll kind of give some uh, recommendations here, if you're going to take this on and, and do a, a bit of a DIY uh, for yourself, is identify what your software development, uh, aspirational software development lifecycle best practices would be. You know, they like said there's, there's different needs for different organizations, you're going to need to understand for your own organization what makes the most sense. Now, ordering them according to priority. So I, like I mentioned, we put together that four stages with like 19 units, looking at what are the table stakes, the things that have to exist, because I really shouldn't move into the stage two, three, and four before I've mastered that stage one level of foundation inside the organization. Uh, <clears throat> you want to want to develop questions, you know, keep it simple. Uh, I think the, these things could be time consuming. Uh, you could get a, a large uh, like subset of the organization who gets maybe uh, disenchanted with it and doesn't want to do the process because it takes a lot of time. So you're gonna have to make this as easy and frictionless as possible. We've kind of settled on using three options only for each of the questions as opposed to you know, maybe five or, you know, or more, just for ease of scoring as well. And then have everyone do this. Uh, it would be nice to get 80% you know, kind of like test coverage, it'd be nice to have 80% or better uh, coverage across your team so you're truly getting the, the bigger picture story. And if people know that they're not being individually reported on, 
you may get more realistic results back out of the process uh, as opposed to trying to look at you know individual people uh, uniquely. And then identifying those uh, internal domains of expertise so you can have those kind of uh, specialty guilds or centers of excellence inside of an organization gives you now an opportunity to you know even do things like a day of innovation. Have you thought about having an internal dev conference for your internal teams where a one highly performing team can now show how they you know accomplished a certain task or gotten through a new process and rolled out you know some way of uh, working that actually helps them accelerate to um, you know, higher velocity, which is really ultimately the goal here. And then repeat every six months and monitor for progress. We want to make sure this is an iterative process and that we're continually watching and, and looking for either people falling behind or you know we don't want anybody to fall down in the process. We also want to be able to establish that, yeah, we are improving, we're moving forward. You know, the things that only, what is it? You only improve things if you measure them. So if we start measuring, we now have a chance to actually improve these kinds of things. Okay, I mentioned I was going to give you guys, give you all, sorry, I said guys, I hate, that's terrible. I, I'm, I'm going to give you all uh, some, some bit of a information, some takeaways. So that QR code will actually take you to a PDF that has our four stages on there that you can use as a, maybe an initial framework um, or a starting point for this kind of uh, activity. And it also allows you to read it because I'm not going to uh, try and read small text off of a big screen for you all. But that, that'll get you the download of our 19 best practice areas that we have been using to uh, look at other organizations and talk to them about their, wh where they're excelling. And as I mentioned, there's you know, four stages, the 19 units. There's over 90 questions across this whole assessment that we've, we've built to try and understand where, you know, what's the maturity level of these various teams. And once you've understood these maturity levels, then now we can go and put in place a, an action plan. But I think if you don't know, it's like kind of that being self-aware. If you don't know that eating sugar like a, a madman is bad for you uh, and you, you aren't watching that, you can't go and improve it and fix it. Uh, so now, and actually we're continually um, updating and evolving these sets of questions and stages. And you saw the original uh, heat map I put up there had like 18 instead of 19. Adding in things like disaster recovery from that maturity level, from an IT and, and um, software development standpoint, you know, made sense in here because everyone's kind of involved in this process because everything has become code or infrastructure as code or automation that makes sure that these things happen. Because if they're relying on a manual process in any of these steps, uh, there's you know potential for someone to not do it. Now, if you want to go to that next level, <clears throat> you're going to have lots of great data coming back in. This gives you an opportunity to take and slice and dice and look at it. So actually what we did here is uh, we took each of those stages, each of the units, and put it on a radar chart. I had never had much use for a radar chart before uh, this activity. But it actually helps you understand where you've got high-performing teams, like toward the outside, and lower-performing teams on the inside. So at a quick glance now across these four stages and units, you can now understand where one team may need to come in and mentor another team. Um, oh, essentially, Top Tech, Top Tech must not have uh, actually finished their survey right there because they're all right in, in the very middle. But the further out you are on the radar chart, the higher the scoring your team is doing on the aggregate for those various uh, activities. So that uh, training and growth mindset, uh, you've got one group out here and one group closer in toward the middle. 
uh, it could mean that they don't have a like skill matrix or a, a career path plan for their engineers and developers. These are the kind of things that you know could go by the wayside if you're so focused on delivering new features very, very fast and building up tech debt at the same time. Uh, you need to think about like, balancing all these kinds of activities and making sure, for example, that you can maintain uh, developer retention. Uh, if you have those kinds of career path and innovation pieces in place, for example, that uh, leveling up, you know, are you sending developers to conferences? How are they learning about new technology? These are the kinds of activities and behaviors you want to encourage across the organization. And when you look at it at this level, you can now really clearly see the gaps. And I think that helps people focus on what's important and where they need to uh, fix it. All right. Uh, well, it looks like no questions. That's amazing. Uh, anybody got questions? Uh, I can actually take them live in the room right now. Tiffany. A long time ago, we used to use the SEI levels to evaluate potential vendors, which are now CMM levels. Yeah. Um, how closely does this map to all this? Actually, it's interesting. Uh, I showed this to another organization. They're like, ooh, we could use this to evaluate people we're going to acquire uh, because it may show the maturity levels of those teams. Uh, we're not like a certifying organization. This is really a set of tools and thoughts and, and processes we came up with because of just being being in software development for you know 20 plus years we felt like it was important to actually spread this level of like knowledge about maturity to other teams so i i don't have a exact comparison to say like a, a standard uh, like that but I, I do know that it would be interesting to use this to evaluate mature team maturity and the fact that it's our survey uh, and actually we can customize it for uh, a case-by-case -case basis. Maybe you've got teams where you want to be more prescriptive with the questions in the survey and the options that are, that are chosen. For example, maybe you use LastPass instead of 1Password as a secrets manager and you want to specifically ask about those, those kinds of things across your teams because maybe you've got teams that are using no password manager or different password managers across the, the enterprise. Ah, how are you scaling the answers based on the sizes of the teams? Yeah, that's actually an issue right now. It's if you have a, a single dev team, it's kind of hard to hide who that single one dev was. Um, right now, we, we do average the scores across, and this is a, just the, the technique we've been using, is to average the scores across the team. So a single dev or a small team might skew uh, differently based on because there's just less population in that sample size. Uh, obviously, for a larger group, you're going to get a, you know, more av a more rounded answer. I think the goal isn't to look at that number as it is to as a, as a, a, a corrective measure. It's a how do we all grow together measure. It's identifying from a like a CTO or a director of engineering level. Do I have any issues? Uh, you're busy with compliance or the you know, roadmap or you know dealing with product. Uh, you may not be aware that there's even issues going on inside the team uh, that would that you need to be addressing. And you may think things are great. Uh, how many of us have just kind of been led astray by the, the tech lead who's like, hey, yeah, yeah, everything's great, got it all handled. But you, if you just kind of peeked under the covers or if the team members kind of did a skip level with them, you finally found out there's really underlying issues. We want to be able to, to surface those in a, 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 a more frictionless way. Awesome. Any questions? On the development team working better with infrastructure and some of the legacy operations names. Oh, I you know me, I, 
So I'm also kind of like Shay, one of those people who bridges that operations and development world. And I have opinions that are not always popular uh, when it comes to like infrastructure teams and development teams that I feel we're moving more toward everything is code, infrastructure code piece. I want to educate my operations teams to become just almost as much of a developer as my development teams who are implementing features on the front end. They're all writing code. They all need testing. They all need automated CI and CD. Um, I get very passionate about that. Uh, actually, this presentation, uh, I geeked out. It is actually being delivered via CI CD. There's a GitHub action pipeline that actually produces it and publishes it and deploys it to our GitHub pages. So when you go to that GitHub repository, that link was actually built by a CI pipeline for my presentation. So I think it's I think they're coming together. There's there's no more. Uh, keyboard monkeys who are going to be hacking on stuff. It's just too risky. Uh, the, the world has gotten far too complex with all the layers we're putting in place to try and protect ourselves from this and that, that you can't manage those as just a human being on a manual process. Question. Oh, yeah. Did you study hybrid in-house and, and contractor teams? Oh, actually, that, that is us. Um, we are a hybrid uh, contractor and uh, in-house team, and the teams we were talking to were similar. Uh, these were globally distributed teams that had folks across you know, three continents in the same team. And that was actually an important aspect is that everyone's treated equally uh, in this kind of a survey. You would onboard folks and actually have everyone, contractors included, because we really want to consider the whole, the whole big picture. I wouldn't leave them out. Awesome. Thank you for the great questions. Uh, any, any one last question? I think we've got enough time for like maybe one more. Yes, sir. Um, how do you deal with situations where the interests of the development team and the operation team are not aligned? <laughs> uh, good examples of previous organizations I've worked for. The development team was uh, rewarded for cranking out features. <laughs> operations team was rewarded for stability. And yep. so, so I was on the operations team, and what my team felt like was the development team was just uh, making our lives difficult <clears throat> because uh, we could never stabilize things because so much new was being shoveled at us. <laughs> yeah, that's the that, that, that argument as old as time almost. Um, I, I, it is hard, but I think that the technologies like Kubernetes and orchestration technologies allow operations team a level of control they can be comfortable with, and development teams a level of delivering features at a, at a rapid pace that the product team would be happy with. So I think containers have gone a long way to stabilize because now you can, I can run security scans across the container as a whole, know whether I've got unpatched you know, CVEs buried in there or uh, you, you can actually have metrics around code quality with the test coverage and you know, looking for regressions automatically where you can say, I'm comfortable given you've you know, well tested the software and we know it's been security scanned, that it can be launched into this container environment which has access controls between the various uh, pods, for example, that gives you, I think, more of that, that fuzzy feeling as an operator of a, of a system where you don't have to be as concerned or you should be less concerned with what's being delivered because of the standards and processes that have been put in place. When you're following all these kinds of processes, you end up with higher quality software with less regressions uh, because there's, there's a lot of things baked in there I didn't talk about when it comes to test coverage and CI. Uh, a lot of organizations may be sprinting so fast and building up a backlog of literally tech debt 
uh, that is only going to ever slow them down uh, across this. If you don't invest up front in actually building software with these great these these kinds of practices, you're going to be uh, delivering slower and, and end up in a, an unstable situation. So it doesn't benefit either organization. Yep. Thanks. That answered my question. So they've run mostly for advice, but you know, I, I, I see the situation again. Uh, uh, really, uh, getting back to practices is a good way to stabilize. Oh, 100%. I think that's a great way to go. Awesome. Well, if you want to explore this further, uh, this is a link to some more narrative and descriptions up on uh, the Six Feet Up site where I go through and talk about these various stages, uh, a little more of the various units. Uh, if you're interested in talking more about these kinds of things, I'm happy to chat about that as well, which means you can find me. Uh, on the interwebs. Um, I'm not a hard person to find. I'm the only Calvin Hendricks Parker in the whole darn world. Uh, so you, if you can't find me, you're not trying hard enough. And I love talking, I love geeking out and talking about this stuff uh, because it just makes the world a better place. So thank you all for uh, letting me come and speak to you today. I was excited to come and talk about software and, and geeking out about uh, engineering leadership. Thank you. Thanks, Doug.